So when did the charity, what year did the charity start? About 15 years now. So tell us a little bit about what happened. I know that it culminated in a, a key moment in 2003, but what, what happened in the lead up to that? And tell us what was going on. Well, it sort of started off in 97 when um, Nathan, who was just three and a half, um, was, had been really ill for about a year and eventually was taken into hospital and they found he had a hernia. But while they were sort of doing that operation, they found out he had a B-cell lymphoma. So we then had to go down that path of sort of chemo and um, they sort of tried to shrink it a bit, but um, he was quite ill at the time and um, they really didn't know how he was going to sort of cope with all the operation. Um, and then when they did operate um, within two weeks, the, it was quite dramatic and the wound exploded and they had to do another emergency operation and we had the anaesthetist and the surgeon saying, <laughs> You know, we really don't think he's going to make it. Wow. Um, so, you know, that was obviously a real test of our faith then. Wow. Um, and a lot of prayer went into that. And, and it was lovely, just about three hours into the operation, the surgeon came up to see us because we were in the parents' waiting room, almost in tears. And we suddenly thought, <gasps> you know, and, and he said, he said he's, he's, he's fine, he's fine, you know. Wow. And they'd managed to operate um, and he made a complete full recovery. Wow. So, um, but while he was obviously just, they had to give him some sort of mild chemo afterwards just sort of to cover themselves and to make sure he was okay. Um, but they picked up that Josh had some, um, his haemoglobin was you know, very, very low. Um, so he was then under some treatment for a couple of years. And then this sort of went on for about four or five years. And then eventually they sort of said, we think we need to send you to Great Ormond Street as a family and you know, for them to just to look into it a bit more and just um, see what's going on. And then that's when we went up to Great Ormond Street in 2003 in the May. But then actually it, was, it wasn't until November that that's when we were called back and then we were told that all four boys had this excellent lymphoproliferative disease. Wow. And we were told that they'd all need bone marrow transplants. That must have been pretty well, well, devastating. I, I, mean, I remember coming home on the old rickety train from Waterloo. <laughs> Yeah. thinking we just sat there didn't we like, just <laughs> just the numbness that mm. kind of goes in is very hard to describe it i mean first of all we didn't really know what a bone marrow or mm. we now call it a stem cell transplant entailed uh, we had, you know, there was a the level of naivety there that we were soon to find become world experts in, <laughs> and uh, but but it was it was just there was an element of numbness and i think what gosh did which was really good is they said look mm. come back in january Bring your questions. Mm. I think I had about 115 <laughs> questions. Still got the list actually, uh, and they gave us a long time to, to mm. digest it. And for us, it was just a, it was a starting to process that mm. there was something very serious. We we gathered there was something very serious. We now had a name to it. There was a potential treatment, but as we started to go onto the internet and look at what it meant, it looked very bleak. Mm. And pure probability theory of uh, an excellent condition suggests that if you that it should be 50% each boy so it's for, to get four heads is 6.25% any statisticians out there mm. <laughs> and, um, and 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 we knew that there was a very high mortality rate uh, the condition 
is uh, ultra rare. It's uh, about a one in a million instance. And it's simply a, a single gene defect, uh, which means that boys, and it, it only Matt Allison has XLP, mm -hmm. but she's absolutely fine because she has two X chromosomes. But for boys that are born with it uh, and, and inherit that faulty X chromosome, it means they have no resistance to the Epstein-Barr virus, glandular fever. Mm -hmm. And the prognosis is that boys with it, the vast majority will not make their teenage years. Uh, and so it was, it was just the worst of times, really. Mm -hmm. And Josh had really deteriorated around that time as well because we'd sort of gone away, I think, in the October and he'd sort of caught one of these super flu bugs okay. and um, he'd sort of really, you know, his body obviously just couldn't cope with it because um, of his immune system. And so he'd really sort of gone downhill and his sort of digestive system was all sort of um, gradually sort of packing up really. Wow. Um, and he was sort of on a special sort of milk diet. Um, so to sort of, in some ways, have that answer in November, in some ways it was a relief because we thought, gosh, yes, you know, we knew something desperate was wrong with them. But, um, but then on the other hand, to actually have all four of them um, have the condition was, you know, quite a lot to get, get around our heads around really, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um, wow. Mm. Hello and welcome to South Today. Tonight, the story of these four brothers. They all have a rare genetic disease which can be fatal. It is your worst nightmare. There's no doubt that, uh, you know, I, I, I can't put it any other way. It's the worst nightmare for any parent. But there is a cure, and we'll be telling you how you might be able to help. So obviously you've talked about how serious a disease it is, uh, and you said there was some sort of a cure? What, what yeah. were you told at the time? So we were told that a bone marrow transplant, uh, in effect, would replace the faulty immune system. And because we are, I think our, our, our pretty much our genetic makeup is somewhere between England, north of England, Scotland and Ireland, the chances of finding for, for people from, from with that background was was reasonable. Um, but we realised then that we were going to have to... Well, we, I think we realised as we came out of this that we had an unusual story uh, mm -hmm. to say that all four of our sons needed to go through bone marrow transplants was, was obviously something <coughs> that was that was very emotional and the amount of media um, uh, coverage we got was... was mm -hmm amazing I mean we had TV crews parked outside our house for significant periods of days and days didn't we mm -hmm. but we also recognized that we needed to find bone marrow donors for our sons but at the time I think there was about 15,000 other people around the globe with different conditions including leukemias and some of the other cancers and other similar uh, primary immunodeficiency conditions that um, also needed a bone marrow transplant so we recognized that Using our story, we could encourage people to actually become bone marrow donors or for, for all sorts of different conditions. For all sorts of things. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, although it was for the Hartley boys, as it became became known, if you sign up, if you're a good match, you could end up donating for anybody, yeah, mm. literally anywhere in the world. And so we recognised that there was a potential for some amazing things to happen mm. from that. And I mean, some of the we've actually met families mm. now. Mm whose son, sons or daughters have, have actually had a successful stem cell transplant because of our campaign and wow. literally yeah. attribute... We could actually to... see it getting busier year after year as, wow. as we were there with the boys 
and, um, it and it was, it was so, quite so who, did you, who spearheaded this campaign? Was that basically you guys? Yeah. Uh, the Anthony Gold and Bow Barrow Registry were fantastic. Right. Okay. We had a dedicated person who worked with us, right, okay. Alex, and she was marvellous, but yeah. came, still is a friend. So, you, But you basically became a press officer as well. Yeah, well, I have a marketing <laughs> background, so, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I knew what I needed. We knew what how to, to present the story yes, okay. in a positive way. Yes. Mm but also to, to express the seriousness of the condition of course. And so you became effectively local media stars yeah. for mm-hmm. a while. Mm-hmm. And I didn't live around here then, but I've talked to people who did and who know mm-hmm. of you or knew of you through the local media mm-hmm. story. With so much energy, it's difficult to believe these children have a rare genetic condition which affects their immune systems. It's called XLP, or X-linked lymphoproliferative disease. It was described to us that XLP is like a time bomb and that time bomb is is ticking uh, and that means that things can go wrong and and wrong potentially very rapidly. I think that's been one of the hardest things for us to accept is that the kids are genuinely so well and look so healthy and are so full of life and so normal Uh, but actually they have this very rare and uh, potentially devastating condition. XLP is incredibly rare. It's been diagnosed in only 100 people in the world. 70% die before their 10th birthday if it's untreated. It is your worst nightmare. There's no doubt that, uh, you know, I I, I can't put it any other way. It's the worst nightmare for any parent. um, To be given such a a hard position, was, was awful and there were many tears shed. What's the scenario today? What each boy needs is a bone marrow transplant, but there are 7,000 people waiting for transplants and the chances of finding a match are 1,000 to 1. We was just really sort of shell-shocked, obviously, by the diagnosis and, you know, in some ways it... You know, we just, we obviously had lots of times when we just sort of cried and just got it out of our system, really. But, and I think the more we sort of did research, we sort of realised that there was a sort of light at the end of the tunnel for them, that really once they do have the bone marrow, you know, they'll be fit and healthy and, you know, sort of start growing and putting on weight and, you know, developing normally as this boy should, really. So you obviously had this big launch uh, where you were sort of trying to get bone, a lot of bone marrow donors for lots of different people, and obviously in the middle of that looking for donors for your own boys as well and and how did that all what happened over the next few years well I mean, I you, know we, we had a, a kind of a, quite a ridiculous coincidence because you were josh's donor i was actually josh's the week we found out friends of ours that sort of run a, a local bookshop at the time they wanted to sort of have this donor session because somebody actually donated herself the year before and she was like yes oh this is really easy to do you know we'll just maybe get 50 to 100 people that will turn up <laughs> And um, we literally had people queuing all down the high street. There was about six, seven hundred people that turned up to give a, you know, to, mm. to be the Baptist tested. Church and, mm. uh, and, and then another place next door. And we had the local football team and the fire engine, to, you know, they all crew, they all came down. Um, and that's really sort of when it just went sort of global, really. Um, it was global. We were, yes, yeah. We were, you know, I had a friend of mine who's in South Africa who me and says, Dave, I think I've just seen you on television. <laughs> wow. Okay. And, um, mm. uh, and uh, friends in Finland who said we were featured on you know, page two of the Finnish Telegraph. <laughs> yeah. mm. uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, we just knew we had a story that could be a blessing. Mm. And actually, 
hopefully help us because clearly we were desperate at that time. Mm, yeah. yeah, but I mean, just the fact that I was actually a nine out of ten match for Josh um, in itself is quite unusual because parents normally uh, maybe a five out of ten, if that. So, um, but I mean, it came at the right time because you know he he needed it, so he was the first one. About that way to go in. Yeah. So you then had a whole series of these bone marrow transplants over the next three, four, five years, something like that. Oh, three years. Uh, yeah, yeah, three years. Right, okay. A year off in between because Josh had a bit of a relapse. So right. Okay. Yeah. It was, um, and Luke had too, just because mm, he's all, yeah. always awkward. Um, <laughs> his first bone marrow uh, stem cell transplant didn't take. Yeah. It's rejected. Right. Okay. And all, and during this time, as well as Arson said, there was there's something called graft v host disease, which is kind of where the new immune system looks at the body and goes, you're not quite right, and attacks it. Mm. Yeah. And we had a lot of that. But we did have this situation at one point when Nathan was having his transplant, that Josh actually was at clinic one day and then ended up being admitted because <laughs> he'd come down with a, um, a virus on his brain, so he was sort of forgetting things. So um, he was then um, admitted for about a month so right. thankfully we were actually on the same ward and right. Dave and I did see each other <laughs> but that oh was gosh. quite scary because um, I had to be with Josh the whole time because he would just get out of bed and forget what he was doing and so um, yeah, yeah. So you effectively decamped to Great Ormond Street for yes. a matter of months. <laughs> well yeah, I mean we should be, when, it, when things weren't quite as critical we, we shared it so we'd do right. four or five days at home, yeah. four or five days yeah. up at Gosh um, and, um, and then the worst, I think there was a month when I didn't get home because of that situation with Josh mm, and, yes, and, and yeah. Nathan and there was also a time at Luke's transplant when I broke my oh, yeah. broke my shoulder which wasn't <laughs> the best thing to do and also a time when at Christmas when you broke your ankle. Actually, so, um, but I stayed up with Luke because I realised I could actually you could you know, rest it and you? do nothing actually up there with him. Right. <laughs> so it was it was it was pretty full on all the way to, all the way through wasn't it really? Mm. Yeah. And you spoke in the video about your faith in the middle of this and yeah. you spoke about how you believed in God and you trusted in God and that must have been a hard thing to even process being Christians I know you had a lot of support of your church but it must have been hard to process all this stuff is happening to our kids yeah. there doesn't seem to be an explanation or a, yeah. a reason maybe yeah. um, and, and yet here we are in the middle of this really really traumatic and difficult time how did that work out with your faith? How did you, how did you even begin to process that stuff? It's interesting, I'll ask that first, because when Nathan, um, when he had his B-cell lymphoma, um, I, I remember actually just before he went into hospital, probably about two weeks before, before he went in, and I was walking down our stairs one day, and um, God just gave me a, a picture of, um, I just felt I was drowning, because it had been such a desperate year with him being ill, and, um, and I just felt God just, I was walking down the stairs, just sort of going deeper and deeper into the water, and just drowning, and God just sort of putting his hands down and just lifting my head, and just sort of keeping my head above the water, and, uh, and just saying, look, just keep your eyes, just focused on me, just look to me all the time. Wow. And in some ways, actually, that, that just, that held us, you know, sort of all the way through, really. We just kept saying, yes, Lord, you know, we don't know why this is happening. It's just, it's happened. But all we can do is is trust you. And, and, and very early on, particularly. And that sounds easy to say now in the, early, in the light of things yeah, that were working out. It must have really been really difficult. It was. And I mean, you know, we gave the boys to God and said, if you choose to call them home, that's not what we want. Mm. But if you choose to call them home, then we, you know, we, we will still get up and worship and love you. Mm. And I, I, I think, you know, my experience of faith is that it's a, a, almost at times of crisis when 
it becomes the most real. Mm-hmm. And there were times, I think, when we were almost physically held up, I think by the prayers of the saints, but also just by the, 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 the presence of God. Mm-hmm. And in a way that, you know, we, we look back now and we go, wow, we actually kind of, mm-hmm. that was us, that was our story. Um, but God was see was at the center, had to be, and remained at the center of that. It was critical. And yeah, we were, you know, there were times when, I mean, for each of the boys during the transplant, there were times when they weren't certain they were going to die. Uh, they weren't certain they were going to live. There was one time in particular, I remember, and Nathan was having his transplant, and um, it was going fine. And then he had a reaction to a drug called Psychosporin that dampens the new immune system. It's a really important drug. It was pretty hairy. And they basically said, well, look, he's not long after having his, what we call D-Day, donor day. The new immune system's now ripping through his body and we can't control it. So we're gonna give him oral, but because of the chemo, his digestive system is shot to bits. He said, and we don't know if he's gonna make it through the weekend. And and so the, the magic number for the psychospora level was 15. And I think on the Friday when I went, it was about 6.7. So there was a little bit of the IV stuff left in and they were kind of not throwing stuff down, but giving him large oral doses. And on Sunday, I I just felt laid to, to, and his body was red with this rash, his grass-free host disease rash. So I just prayed over him and I just saw this rash disappear and didn't think too much of it. I honestly didn't think too much of it at the time because I didn't know how rashes and grass-free host disease so, he's worked. so he got through the day and the, they came in on the Monday morning, took his bloods and, and went away and uh, came rushing in in the afternoon and said, it's 14.7, it's impossible. Well, Sorry, even now it gets me. And yeah, sure. uh, it wasn't 14.7, it was 15. It was just they didn't measure it correctly. I know that. <laughs> because God is perfect. Um, wow. We never saw the big miracle, did we, for, um, you know, the big miracle where a single gene but we saw repeatedly times when things that could have gone dreadfully mm, wrong yes. didn't go wrong at all. So well, and that's, that's the thing that, you know, there were times when the doctors turned around and said, you know, that we don't know what to do. You know, yeah. we, we, we've, we've come to the end of what we can do. Yeah. And we're like, oh, okay, uh, right. Thank you, <laughs> you thank you very much, thank you, thank you. <laughs> you know, we did, we used to get, you know, so that's the time when we really used to pray and get our knees and lots of people. At what point would you say that you were あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あの、あ
Oh, really? Not, not, I mean, shielding, not really. <laughs> well, well we, they, they have been shielding. Yes, yeah, they have been shielding it. Yeah. We shielded for years, Nigel. Yeah. Yeah. So you're used yeah. to that. Yeah. 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 Easy. I think it's, it's been harder now because they're older and in their 20s. Well, the pubs were shut, so that made quite a significant difference, I think. And they all came down with high blood pressure as well. Three of them did. Obviously, Luke was still on immunoglobulins. So that was had to be sorted out. But then again, Nathan, his just suddenly just went back to normal. But Luke and no, sorry, Daniel and Josh, they've still got they're still on treatment for that. So living through all that you've lived through with your kids, I mean, I I have three children. I've got most of them through teenagers, and I count that as a miracle. And yet we don't have to live with anything like the stress and the uncertainty and all that you just described. Um, and, and honestly, I kind of think, gosh, that, that, that would be enough just to get through that. But on top of all of that, you also started a charity. That's right. Um, That's right. Um, so tell us a bit about how that came about, yeah. and because um, that's obviously you know a big part of the story, the ongoing story. Yeah. So we so um, during the the first year we were at Great Ormond Street, there the Institute of Child Health, which is the research side, did a, in their annual report did a, a paper on XLP, and there was an article on our sons on one side, and on the other side they talked about. You know that this is still a relatively unknown. Is this uh, the one called the Secret Killer? Yeah, yeah. It's on the website. It's on the website. It's on the website. And uh, yeah, the Silent Killer. The silent, Sorry, the Silent, silent killer. killer. Yeah. And uh, because most families get a diagnosis of XLP after a boy has died, I mean that's just unfortunate reality of it. Like XLP was it is now. And so I read this article, and at the end of it, uh, Dr. Bobby Gasper, Professor Dr. Bobby Gasper, actually said, you know, we think this is a candidate for gene therapy. So I went in to see Bobby, we, we got on very well, we, uh, very well, uh, and I said, so what do you need? And so he told me a very large sum of money. And I said, okay, go out for you, no idea how to do it. And so uh, we, had some ama- we had some amazing, series of amazing coincidences, and I met some, uh, one lady in particular, another doctor who was a, a, helped set up a similar charity for a similar condition. And so we decided to set up a proper bona fide medical research charity and we've been running that I think for 13 years now. Which is called XLP the, Research Trust. The XLP Research Trust, www.xlpresearchtrust.org. Um, and the other driver behind that is there was nothing on the, on the web apart from a lot of very detailed medical um, uh, papers that, that lay people were very hard to understand. 
because of our story, we had a, an old website that we used to diverge the news through, which we don't make, no longer exists. And so other XLP families from around the globe started to get in touch with us and we started to get their stories. And I just felt God was saying to us, this is your community, these are your people, this is your tribe. And you can make the difference. And so we set this, we're the co-founders along with some other wonderful people who are still trustees and others that have been and have, have, have moved away. And the charity exists for three reasons. It exists to fund medical research into XLP, X, now XLP1 and Zyab or XLP2. It, 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 it's there to be a, a place where XLP families and those affected can talk to other people and that's primarily us. We have a dedicated phone line for that. And it's all just to do advocacy work with other organizations that are around mm. um, uh, uh, around the primary immunodeficiency piece. And so just talk to you about the families. How many families are we talking about in the uh, world? We've been in touch now probably with about 120, 130 families from literally across the world from pretty much every country, every racial background, every ethnic background. No, no, and that's how that's how rare this condition is. It's, yeah. We're talking about hundred and just over a hundred people in uh, the whole world. I mean, families. So, oh, sorry, so families. a family, a family right. may have Fair eight right. to right. thirty boys okay. affected by XLP. Okay. So, but so XLP one, which is the condition our boys have, is uh, is a rare a rare condition. It's a one in a million incidence, and and there's a similar condition that we now support which was called originally called XLP2 and now Zyap which is about one in five million incidents well so it's even more rare mm-hmm. yeah but actually the incidence of it is they're finding more and more cases we okay. did we, we, we funded some research in Paris uh, to help clone the gene basically or the defective gene uh, for Zyap and, and and as a result of that they've been able to find many more so how often them. do you find yourself talking to other families is it mm-hmm. sort of every week is it Every month, or it, it, it comes and goes quite literally. Right, okay. Sometimes it can be quite intensive with a family, particularly when they're newly diagnosed because right. they just have these questions because they're looking for anybody else who's got any yeah. kind of a similar, yeah. Experience. And and often, you know, the email arrives in Turkish, okay. And so, fortunately, I, I my full time job is, is working for a software company, and so I have friends literally who do simultaneous translations of emails. Fully. So I'll receive an email in Turkish, I'll contact a friend, okay. send them the email, they'll send me a response back pretty much instantaneous. Right. I'll then write a response in English, they'll send it me back in Turkish, I'll email it, the right. family will respond, we'll, and then we go through this process. Um, and I noticed that your website has, was it, it's in 12 different... 14 languages. 14 different languages. Yeah, and American English. That's <laughs> <laughs> just a little joke, sorry. Uh, but I'm very fortunate that my, my full-time job kind of allows me to both travel a lot so I can spend evenings working all prior to COVID. Uh, but also I've got this net amazing network of friends around the globe who get exposed to XLP because I say, hey, I need a bit of help with this family. Um, and I've also been able to use my, my travels at times to say hello to families as well. It's not always worked, but sometimes we've done that. And tell us about the research part. Yeah, we funded research. It's on the website in Switzerland. The most recent one was in Switzerland on, on Zyap. Uh, Paris, uh, three, four programs in the US, two programs down in Australia. Um, so this is paying uh, researchers to yeah. to fund their studies so that they can find yeah. out more about how to treat Yeah, it, I mean, what we, we because of 
because medical research is hugely expensive, and you'll be aware of that from what's going on with COVID at the moment. We deliberately fund what we call seed programs, which are small, innovative ideas about tackling an, an aspect of XLP1 or Zyap, with the hope that that will then allow them to go and get literally the millions of dollars or the millions of pounds or the millions of euros to take that program on, for example, into gene therapy for XLP1. So, uh, and um, you also run these symposiums. That's right, yeah. And you got one coming up. So tell us a bit about what happens there. So we we did this. I think we did it uh, literally. This we've got our sixth biannual one coming up in October. Now virtual, of course. Mm. Uh, but so it was twelve years ago. We did the first mm. one, and and we had people who flew in from Japan, Australia, States, Spain. Italy, Spain, Germany. Uh, France. France. Oh, yeah. Of course, the the guys from uh, uh, we from France and uh, and they gave papers. And actually, they, it started. It was really interesting. It actually started a community of people that actually started to talk to each other. Mm. Wow. And bits of the jigsaw puzzle about XLP started to be put mm. into place as a result of these. Mm. And we sat there. <laughs> <laughs> But what Everything was exciting, flies. actually, when we broke for even just the first coffee break that morning, I remember we sort of stood at the edge of the room and you could just see them all just chattering to each other and, and it was and it that was, was just so nice. encouraging for right. us to think that, you yeah. know, we managed to be able to get all these sort of, you know, commissions and researchers from all over the world together wow. just to share their ideas and, yeah. you know... And they become, a lot of them become uh, yeah. personal friends. Wow. Mm. Wow. And, and so... And both of us failed our biology on that one. <laughs> The personal bit about the charity was we didn't want another family to go through what we went through. Mm-hmm. And, and all the side effects. And all the si- particularly the side effects that come. Mm-hmm. So the gene therapy, this thing that, that Dr. Bobby Gasper spoke about in the Institute of Child mm-hmm. Health was the thing that kept me awake at night and drove me. And and and, um, and so, so we will be announcing that, that actually we now have clinical approval uh, for this to be used. Uh, in London, Institute of Child Health, uh, University College London, Great Ormond Street, wonderful people. Uh, the Leukemia Trust for the big, the big money, um, so that other boys won't have to go through stem cell transplants. Uh, it's going to take some time for this to roll out globally, uh, but it's be, it's gone through all the various tests, the model, the modelling, and the, the, the various trials that need to, and uh, we're very pleased to, to announce that. And so there's some huge advantages because for some XLP boys can't find a suitable donor. Often because of their ethnic backgrounds, mm-hmm. sometimes mixed ethnic backgrounds. And so what's gene therapy? What yeah. does it enable? What so gene therapy still means there's an element of chemotherapy, still knocks out the immune system. Usually it's a low dosage um, a chemo. They take out some of the, the defective cells. They correct the cell using the retrovirus. I won't go into that and multiply it and then infuse that back into the boy. And the, the early problems with gene therapy uh, were around how that then goes back into, but that's now been corrected again, very, very, very clever people. Mm. Um, and so it means that, that boys that go through gene therapy won't get graft-free-host disease. They are their own donors. Wow. They don't have to have the, the very heavy conditioning chemotherapy. Uh, and so the, the survival rate and the, the potential for them to, to 
you know, to, 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 to not have side effects is hugely reduced. Right. Um, so let me get this right. You spoke to that guy, Bobby, yeah. who said, I need loads yeah, of dollars like a million, million, quarter quarter million, million, quarter million squid, yeah. to take that research forward about yeah. gene therapy to make that a reality. Yeah. And I think, did he say something like, this, this will work, it just needs, well, it, would, or it could work? Or, I think, I mean, even back, I mean, gene therapy still now is still the great white hope in many, it, it, for many conditions, right. and many varied okay. conditions. It's still very much an emerging right. science and field, and there's been some really big setbacks. And I mentioned where about they put the gene back, but that's now sold. Yeah. Um, so it was almost, I think, slightly tongue-in-cheek. And, right. and, and we funded programs that supported, ultimately, them going, it cost a lot more than mm. that. Yeah. Going to get the seed money to get to get the thing started, mm-hmm. and twelve years down the line, you can announce that they're now ready to use that as a yeah. clinical in yeah. clinical. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? That's, that's awesome. That's honestly awesome. <laughs> it's quite good, isn't it? It's, it's I guess it'll hit. Little medical research charity you're running out of your house in Romsey. It, it, yeah, <laughs> out, of, out of a very old desktop. Um, at the, at the top roof of our house, yeah. And actually, the, the other amazing thing as well is is that um, when we first went up to Great Ormond Street, we, it took about six months because we went up in the May, uh-huh. and then we actually didn't get told until in November. Um, but it turned out that the actual, um, I've got the name of the machine called. Nice. Um, the particular machine that they, they sort of used to test it actually broken. That's why it take, took so long. Um, but um, now, because of the blood they took from me, <laughs> um, they're actually able to test it within 24 hours. Wow. So even when we were up sort of during some of the transplants, they were actually <laughs> testing some boys who were coming into clinic and they were wow. able to test them. Uh, and we actually did, did meet a couple of sort of boys that did have XLP. Wow. And got early diagnosis, mm, that was really yeah. important wow. as well. Yeah, so that was just really encouraging. So it seems to me that you've made a massive difference to the people who've, exper- who've been experiencing similar to how you experienced, just the mm. kind of diagnosis and the kind of questions and the, yeah. you know, the yeah. processing yeah. and the, oh my gosh, what does this mean? Mm. Um, and you've been able to bring those people together and mm. provide support and um, information and, and make sure that no other family has to go through a, you know, the same experience that you well, did. With so, so the first bit, I, I mean, the other bit is now coming. I mean, yes, the, the hope right. is that, is that, that as gene therapy is made more available outside the UK, that, mm. you know, and certainly that will happen. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it was, you know, we, we also send, send out ex, uh, icky bears, no teddy bears <laughs> to the boys, because often an XLP family will never meet, mm. apart from within their own family family unit, mm. will never meet another XLP family. Yeah. So, right. wow. um, yeah, so um, I, I think that's possibly, you know, it's, it is ultra rare, but the, we know that that this community we're called to is a is a desperate community because mm. we've been there, mm. we've walked the walk, mm. and we hope that well, we, we, not we hope we we hope we are hope bringers mm. into that community and, and, and can bring life into mm. that community. Mm. It's like you say, you've just been able to connect with other families that are going through exactly the same thing. It's you know, we used to find sometimes we used to come home and it'd be really difficult just talking to normal people. Not normal people, you know, <laughs> yeah, friends, <laughs> just friends, because they, they just didn't have, have no a clue yeah. what we were going through. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. and I know certainly like during Luke's transplant, I actually met up with about 12 uh, mums and, and we all just really clicked. And actually even all the doctors and nurses said it's never happened before. But we all just really clicked and, and just were able to support each other in each other. and. Um, you know, but I mean that that has a knock-on effect because 
only about um, four of the children actually survived out of 12. Wow. So that was, you know, quite hard just, you know, coping yeah. uh, and, you know, being there and supporting sort of grieving parents. Yeah, and it's, it, it, you know, and people are, this is a desperate community, you know, we mm. talk about being called into, into bring, bringers of life as, mm. as followers of Jesus and, and, and that to us is, is, has always been the motivation behind this, you know, it is a medical research charity, we don't give, we don't, we, we're not allowed to give medical advice and we don't give, but we can bring hope mm. and we can share our experiences and we can share, um, so for example, we've had a couple of families where they've, they've lost a boy to XLP. Uh, the mother is pregnant again, they can do in vitro mm. testing, they found out it's got XLP1. And the question is, do they terminate or not? Mm. And we've been able to share that even with using, um, for, for, for babies having stem cell transplants, you know, the survival rate is in the high 90s because mm. the immune system is not developed. And we've been able to, you know, bring life and in fact actually help just by presenting that facts. And Quite literally bring life. Uh, also save life I suppose mm -hmm. as well is probably the other wow. thing as well. And we've had, I mean I've certainly had the opportunity to pray with a number of the families, we don't push it, but a lot of them ask and it's on the website in our story, we talk about the fact we're committed Christians, we're not going ever gonna, ever gonna to hide that. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've, we've had people that have asked for prayer and we've done that over the phone, mm -hmm. um, sometimes by our email as well. Um, it really is a, you know, it's, I've always believed that God is not in the curse. He is in the blessing and you have to look for what the blessing is. And sometimes when, when you're really down and the people listening to this that are going through awful situations, you've got to look for what God is doing in this. And, and God is steadfast. He weeps with us. I, I literally, there's a Ren Collective song that talks about that. Oh, no, and, uh, yeah, and, and actually when I read it, I went, oh, my story. That's just my story. There was times when I almost felt the tears of God on my shoulder, uh, in, in the depths of the depths, really. Uh, but uh, he is faithful. And, you know, you have a choice in, in the dark times. You either run, particularly for us males, you know, it's fight or flight. Um, you either run or you fight. And I chose to stand and fight with God. Not fight with God, but fight alongside. with God alongside me. And, and if he is for us, literally, who can be against. But I also want to be clear in that as well, in that, you know, there was a real, we were very fortunate that our sons came mm -hmm. through and are doing really well today in their living lives and, mm -hmm. and you know, with even with the complications. But even if that hadn't been the case, it wouldn't have changed where, where we ended up. We were fortunate. There was no mm -hmm. magic here that because we're Christians, you know, that he saved us. I often said, um, when we're on songs of praise and the heaven and earth show and all this stuff and I've uh, been interviewed by the Sun newspaper and all this uh, strange stuff I often said you know as a Christian God doesn't bubble wrappers you know we are as open to to stuff as anybody else and that was really important mm. really really important mm. thank you is there anything else you want to share no I think um, they said it all very nicely <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think, yeah, I mean, just realising that whatever we go through, we all face, we all go through trials and, you know, times of testing and, and it's just, it's knowing that, that God is there with us, he walks with us and, um, and it is just, you know, like the picture I had all those years ago, it's just looking to God and he will, you know, he'll hold our head up high and we just need to look to him. Um, Guys, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. We really, really appreciate it. I know that 
people who didn't know your story, even people who do, um, will be encouraged by what you have to say. So I just want to thank you. Thank you for doing that today. It's okay. Pleasure.